Hola. That's all I've got. Hey, homies. I'm Katie. I'm Sydney. And this is Something Sick. Sup? Not much. (laughs) Nice. Let's just reenact a 12-year-old's text conversation. (laughs) The not asking the question back was really great. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty accurate. Not much. NM. (laughs) That would be terrible. Sounds like a terrible podcast. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it's like. Yeah. Anyway. What? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Sorry, everyone. We okay. are having issues. <laughs> We're like malfunctioning. Okay. Do we have anything to talk about? I have nothing. Okay. No case. Nothing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like told me all day that you were researching. I've been sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't. I'm just going to make it up. That's nice. Great. <laughs> it's a blank okay. page. <laughs> You like how to set up all the equipment and everything. I would be so mad. <laughs> no, I have stuff to talk about. Okay. It's not fun stuff. Yeah. So we're not going to be laughing at all. So uh-huh. this is us getting the giggles out. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's what you just said. Well, I have a good palate cleanser for after this one. Oh, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so... We're going to feel awkward when we have to do that, though, because it's just such well, a sad case. Well, it never feels good, so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to get there. I'm taking off my glasses. I'm not going to look at you. Sydney's blind. But okay. my glasses How are How many fingers am I holding up? Two? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. Okay. Okay. And you want, how many times can I say okay before actually getting started? so the case i'm you know so (laughs) we're going to be covering the case of the tragic murder of shanda sharer trigger warning child murder yeah not i try not to be super graphic Mm -hmm. but the whole thing is kind of graphic so Mm -hmm. it's just really sad and horrific so if that's not for you it's not really for me either yeah (laughs) so yeah so if you gotta skip off that's okay. I respect it. We're gonna start with talking about Shanda. Mm-hmm. Shanda Scherer was born to Stephen and Jacqueline Scherer on June 6, 1979 in Pineville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Do you do know where that is? No, I was gonna say, do do you know where that <laughs> I is? I do. <laughs> where? It is about an hour and a half north of Knoxville. So it's okay, like, so it's pretty Eastern. Cl- yeah, it's yeah. pretty close to the Tennessee border. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Stephen and Jacqueline later divorced and Jacqueline remarried and moved her family to Louisville, Kentucky Mm -hmm. around the time Shanda was in fifth grade. Okay. So her, she has a different last name now. Didn't write it down. Okay. I'll probably call them by their first name. That's fine. Shanda attended St. Paul's school for fifth and sixth grade in Louisville. And she was pretty involved with volleyball, softball, and cheerleading. And in June 1991, Shanda's mom got divorced again and moved them to New Albany, Indiana, which is literally on the other side of the river from Louisville. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's basically just a different state. Uh, Shanda then attended Hazelwood Middle School. And then in 
like November of that school year, she had to transfer to Our Lady of Perpetual Help School, which is a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about why later, but that happened. Okay. Uh, At the... At the Catholic school, she joined the girls' basketball team, and I tried to find more about her background, but most of the articles were about her murder and not about mm-hmm. her, so. Yeah. And I don't have the books. There are books about this, mm-hmm. but. Was she tall? I have she no idea. She played basketball and volleyball? I have no idea. Okay. Maybe. She was athletic. She was athletic. Good for her. Why did you ask if she was tall? I don't know. I was just thinking of it. Oh. No, she's not. I don't know. Okay. She could be short. She could be tall. She could be average. Okay. I have no idea. It's just curious. Okay. You put your glasses back on? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So now we're going to talk about four other girls. And they all had really messed up backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to feel sad for their childhoods, but then they all made terrible decisions. Yeah. It's like you can feel sad for the person before they did this. Yes. Yeah. So you probably will because I do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for all of their siblings and stuff, too. Like, it's just horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with Melinda Loveless. That name feels yep. fitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born in New Albany, Indiana, as the youngest of three daughters to Marjorie and Larry Loveless on October 28th, 1975. That's um, Kara's birthday. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to my little sister. Uh, so Melinda was, like, four years older than Shanda. Mm-hmm. So Melinda's father, not a great guy, pretty terrible actually. Great. He, Larry, was drafted into the Vietnam War, and he was pretty messed up emotionally by the time he came back, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Yeah, but he was regarded as a hero when he got home, which I don't think he should have been. Okay, but he would work irregularly at Southern Railway, and then in 1965, he got a job as a probation officer in New Albany. Uh, he got fired eight months later after he and his partner assaulted a black man that Larry was accusing of sleeping with Marjorie, his wife. Oh, that's going gross. to feel really extra wrong later because they're swingers. So it's kind of like, why? <sighs> So you just wanted an excuse to beat this man, like to hurt this man. That's awful. Yeah. So he got fired for that, which thank goodness they did that. Yeah. Yeah. At least they did something. Yeah. That's so terrible. Yeah. Uh, In 1988, he got a job as a mail carrier, but he quit after three months. And most of the time he had brought mail home and then he would just destroy it. (laughs) Okay, cool. So So, mail fraud. Yeah. So that's like his work history. (laughs) Work in criminal. Yeah. Yeah. The start of the criminal, you know? Oh, okay. Great. Uh, Marjorie, his wife, she would work on and off starting in 1974. So when they were both working, they were pretty well off. Mm-hmm. But Larry ultimately didn't really care about his family like in their financial situation. So he would just impulsively spend his personal money, like the money mm-hmm. he earned on like motorcycles and cars and firearms. So Great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 1980, he filed for bankruptcy, so in the middle of all of that, mm-hmm. before he became a mail carrier, but still, terrible okay. dude. Yeah. Uh, family members said that his and Marjorie's daughters, including Melinda, would often visit them and be, like, really hungry, just, like, mm-hmm. not fed while they were at home. So, uh, there's already so many red flags, but yeah. this is where it's going to get worse. So, for real, don't listen if you don't. If you really don't want to, because I don't mm-hmm. blame you. So Marjorie Loveless, the mom, described Larry as a sexual deviant. 
He would wear Marjorie and his daughter's makeup and underwear, and he would remain, he would not remain, I cannot speak, he would not remain monogamous, and he liked to see his wife sleep with other people. Okay. So it's like, why did you beat up that man? Yeah. Like, what is your reasoning? Mm -hmm. Uh, Larry and Marjorie would go out to bars in Louisville, and he would claim to be like a doctor or some other high profession and would call her his girlfriend. Mm Mm-hmm. And he would also share Marjorie with his friends and coworkers, which I don't think she enjoyed that. I was going to say, like, was she into it or no? Based off of stuff I saw that she was saying later, she said no. I don't know if she felt differently in the moment and Mm -hmm. then later was like, "Uh, I didn't like that. But I don't think she felt great about it. (laughs) Because that's where it crosses the line of like, it's not just like their thing. Yeah. It's it's not like like she's like super into it also. Okay. Yeah. I don't think he was definitely the one that was more into it than yeah. she was. Uh, there were some pretty disturbing instances where multiple people were involved that Larry instigated against Marjorie. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to write any of them down. They were pretty yeah. terrible. And I'm like, at those moments, I'm for sure she did yeah. not enjoy that. Um, these events led Marjorie to attempt suicide several times throughout mm. their daughter's childhood. And like they knew about it. Yeah. So that's terrible and there were times when melinda and her sisters would hear larry abusing marjorie like mm-hmm. through a door or some like their house probably didn't have super thick walls or anything I mean, like yeah you hear like it. if you're in the house and that's happening you've you'll know, know. yeah so um in 1986 marjorie wouldn't allow larry to go home from a bar with two women so he beat her so badly that she was taken to a hospital mm-hmm. and then thankfully he was convicted of battery and that's <laughs> at that it's, time so it's like someone is doing something but it's still like not enough no yeah yeah um it is not known 100 percent what abuse occurred between larry and his daughters and Mm -hmm. other children but there were testimonies from court that larry molested melinda as a baby Mm -hmm. he um and marjorie's 13 year old sister when they were like early in their marriage and one of his nieces for several years okay terrible yeah. Um, Melinda never confirmed that that happened to her, but also she was a baby, so she I don't know how much she remembered. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if she would be able to mm-hmm. recite that. Um, Melinda did sleep in a bed with her dad until she was 14, and that's when he, like, left their family. So, like, they would share beds, I guess. Like, just her? Or, like, I don't all know. of them? Or I have no idea. Ugh. But it's just, like... No. That's weird. Yeah. And clearly he's not a good dad. Yeah. So... Not a good guy in general. Oh, gosh. Um, He was also verbally abusive to his daughters, along with physical and psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. One time he fired a gun at Melinda's older sister, Michelle, when she was seven and like purposely missed, but he still did that. And And that's trauma that a seven-year-old can never... No. That's trauma that no one can ever get over. But But especially a seven-year-old when it's her dad. Yeah. Uh, in front of other family members, he would try to embarrass his daughters in like really gross ways. And I didn't write them down. I was reading it and I was just like, that is so nasty mm-hmm. on so many levels. I just, their family just, it's just like everybody in that family was traumatized by this man probably. Yeah. And it's horrible. Uh, this is all like bouncing back and forth. So now I have another, and this is like going mm-hmm. back in their timeline a little bit. But when Melinda was five, the Loveless family was very involved at the Graceland Baptist Church. And that's when Marjorie and Larry confessed and like gave up drinking and swinging to become members. 
clearly that didn't last yeah. because they kept doing those things. But for a time, Larry became a Baptist lay preacher and Marjorie was a school nurse. Okay. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the church had Melinda taken to a motel room for a five-hour exorcism with a 50-year-old man. I'm just like, Ugh. what? Also, yeah. like, what's going on in that church? How quickly did he become a, like, preacher? And he was, I don't think he was an ordain. I think a lay preacher is not like an ordain. Oh, like a layman. Like yeah. A- so he Still. wasn't an ordained guy, but he like, yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Um. So Larry also did marriage counseling while he was there, mm-hmm. but he had a reputation for uh, being a little too forward with women. Yeah. And the family left the church after Larry tried to assault a woman. So they kind of, and then they just kind of get like, we're like, Back to drinking, back yeah. to sleeping around, like back to the dysfunction that never actually yeah. ended. And it's like, oh, and they just get to leave the church. Like, yeah. no one's going to do anything about Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So in November 1990, Larry was caught spying on Melinda and one of her friends. Mm-hmm. And Marjorie attacked him with a knife. Okay. Yeah. He had to go to the hospital because he like tried to grab it from her. Okay. So, yeah. After that, Marjorie attempted suicide again, and her daughters called the police, and so Mm -hmm. they finally got involved. After all this, Larry up and moved to Avon Park, Florida, and filed for divorce. Uh, He did get remarried there, and he would, like, send letters to his wife and daughters to, like, mess with their emotions and, like, traumatize them even further. And, like, just, like, have a time. But he eventually did stop, but it's, like... That never stopped for them, probably. Yeah. So. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that he left. Yeah. Like, good riddance. So you can kind of tell this girl was abused as a yes, child. Yeah. But it's, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, so the next girl is Lori Tackett. And so her full name was Mary Lorene Tackett. But Lori is what mm-hmm. I'm going to call her by. Uh, she was born on October 5th, 1974 in Madison, Indiana, mm-hmm. like an hour north of okay. New Albany. I looked up all these places. Good. For you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. You knew I would ask. Yeah. <laughs> looked it all up on a map. I kept pulling up my map. I do that every case. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lori's father was a factory worker with two felony convictions in the 1960s. Not sure what for. Okay. But... But he wasn't in prison. Mm-hmm. So, and then her mom was a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that family, too. Yeah. Um, when Lori was five and 12, she said that she was molested at least mm-hmm. twice. So she's got her own mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And then in May 1989, Lori's mom found out that she would change into jeans when she got to school. Yeah. And she's not happy about that because, you know, they got to wear their skirts and jeans are no-go. So her mom got into a fight with her and tried to strangle her. Because that's better than her wearing jeans. jeans. Yeah. So horrible. Uh, Because of this, social workers did get involved. Good. And Lori's parents agreed to have unexpected visits with them Mm -hmm. to, like, prove that abuse wasn't going on. Yeah. I don't know that much more, at least happened between them but hopefully that helped a little bit but still there are issues going on with this girl um another conflict that Lori had with her mom was when her mom found out that one of her friends hope rippy who we'll talk about in a minute yeah um 
her hope's dad bought a Ouija board for the girls to play with. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, listen, I, yeah. as someone who loves ghosts, not the move. <laughs> no, I would never. No. So Lori's mom freaked out, obviously. Okay. She would never do that, buy that for her daughter. And she was like, that board needs to be burned and their whole house needs to be exercised. Like, okay. Insane. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. None of these girls' parents like really liked any of them. Yeah. (laughs) Like they liked their friendships, Mm -hmm. which that's fair. None of them, they all have a lot of shit and like aren't too much baggage for their kid to be carrying around on top of their own. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like you want their them to have like stable friendships. Yeah. But then it's also like when is like telling your kid they can't be friends with someone ever worked? Never. So it does not work. Yeah. So around Lori's 15th birthday, she started to become very intrigued by the occult and okay. she would pretend to be possessed by the spirit of Diana the vampire to try to impress Did she her make friends. Up this vampire? I don't know. I think okay. I was like, is this a character yeah, that exists? Or? I think she just made her up okay. and she was like, I want to impress my friends. Okay. I'm going to be possessed by a vampire. Wait, who was this again? This is still Lori. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was her thing. And now a little trigger warning because a lot of these girls were doing self harm mm-hmm. and together they would they would do it together and so it's just a lot. And I don't have like details about it, but yeah. it's just tough. Um, In early 1991, Lori began to self-harm, and she started to date a girl who also did this. Mm -hmm. Um, Her parents found out, and on March 19th, 1991, they checked Lori into a hospital where she was prescribed antidepressants. Okay. Which is like, that's not really a quick... It's not a quick fix. It takes time to figure out, and... It's just like, like, going to the hospital and getting help is great. Yeah. But like medicine is very hard and it yeah. does not fix things right away no and like oftentimes it can make things worse, worse yeah if you aren't on the one that is right for you yeah it's so messed like it's yeah. just like man yeah. yeah so that was their fix but to be fair it's also the 1990s so yeah who knows what they were doing in the mm-hmm. hospitals at that point uh, two days after she was released Lori was with her girlfriend and her friend, Tony Lawrence, who we'll also talk about soon. Mm-hmm. And Lori harmed herself pretty badly again. And she was taken back to the hospital. And then she was admitted into the psychiatric ward. And they diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. And she told people that she had been suffering from hallucinations since she was really young. Mm-hmm. So that that was all on record before any of this other stuff happened. Yeah. So it's like, what's true? What's yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was released from the hospital on April 12th, 1991. And then in September of that year, she dropped out of high school. Okay. Uh, she lived in Louisville in October that year with some friends. And then that's when she met Melinda Lovelace. And they started to become like actual friends in November of that year. Okay. And then in December 1991, Lori went back to Madison, Indiana, because her dad said he would buy her a car. And then she just spent more her time going back and forth between all those places, yeah. like going around with her friends. Okay. So those are the first two girls. Mm-hmm. Second two girls, um, Tony Lawrence. Tony Lawrence was born on February 14th, 1976 in Madison, Indiana, like Lori. Uh, her dad was a boiler maker. Okay. Uh, she was friends with Hope Rippey, who we're talking about next, from yeah. a young age. 
Uh, Tony was abused by her relative when she was nine years old, and then she was later abused again by a teenage boy when she was 14. Mm -hmm. So she's got a lot going on there. Yeah. Uh, The police could only issue a restraining order against the boy. I'm not sure why they didn't do more, Mm -hmm. but that they did that. Okay. Uh, She started to go to counseling after that, but she didn't continue that for very long. And then she began to self-harm and she became very promiscuous. And then she attempted suicide in eighth grade, which is so sad. Yeah. Did not. She survived that, but Mm -hmm. so tough. That's all I really had about her. Okay. Um, And then Hope Rippey. She was born in Madison, Indiana, also on June 9th, 1976. Her parents divorced in February 1984. And so she moved to Quincy, Michigan with her mom and siblings. But then in 1987, her parents got back together in Madison. And then she was reunited with Lori and Tony and like their friend, like their Mm -hmm. friendship was restored. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And then Hope's parents thought Lori was a bad influence on Hope. I would say probably so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Lori's got a lot of baggage. So her family is not the best either. And then Hope also began to self-harm with her friends when she was 15 years old. Yeah. Being a teenage girl is it, so hard. Like, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. And it's just like, I wish these girls had better mm-hmm. upbringings and they just found each other and they all bonded over that, probably having hard lives. And yeah. then it just escalated. And in. it's like, that's what you want. Like you want people to have friends that understand and that like you can help each other, but clearly they weren't helping each other in a way that was healthy so yeah it's so horrible yeah and like some of their parents tried mm-hmm. and they were like we'll try and get you help but no one can help them like yeah they didn't have the resources back then so now we're gonna talk about all the relationships mm-hmm. going on that leads up to this case so in 1990 melinda loveless at the age of 14 began dating a girl named amana amana amanda <laughs> Oops, Amanda Haverin, I think is how you say it. Around that was around the time that Melinda's dad left them. Okay, yeah. so her behavior just kind of started to spiral out of control. Yeah. She started to lash out. She would get into fights at school, and she said she was depressed, which is valid. Your yeah. dad just your dad, who's a terrible person, left, and you have a lot of issues and hard things to work through. But yeah, mm-hmm. she did receive professional counseling because of this. I don't know how much that helped. Yeah. But um, Melinda eventually came out to her mom in March 1991, which at first didn't go well. Her mom was pretty upset. Mm -hmm. And then her mom eventually did accept that Melinda was who she was and she loves who she loves. But that happened. Okay. But then as the year went on, Melinda and Amanda's relationship started to go downhill. Mm -hmm. So that's... Yeah, Which, that I would mean, not be the, it's teen, you're a teenager, yeah. but it's also like, man, you just got up the courage to tell your mom and then yeah. it goes downhill. Uh, in the fall semester of 1991 at Hazelwood Middle School, Amanda got into a fight with Shanda Sharer, but then they became friends in detention after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, what um, grade were they in at this point? Like eighth grade-ish? Probably. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. I don't know. That's fine. I didn't see great. I just saw ages. Mm-hmm. Mm, she's 12 and she's yeah probably eighth grade okay seventh or eighth okay because i think at that point sixth grade was not in middle school because she said they went somewhere else well in sixth grade i think would be like 11 oh yeah 12 so. 12 is usually seventh 
Okay, cool. <laughs> I know. I know my seventh graders. Um, <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> I'm a seventh grade youth leader. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Continue. So they became friends in detention after they got into a fight. And then they started to exchange romantic letters. So, mm-hmm. but Amanda is still technically dating Melinda. Yes. So that's a little messy. And I did not read the book, so I do not have their specific conversations. That's okay. But if you want to listen to an episode with more specifics on this, morbid. Yeah. I always recommend listening to their episode. <laughs> they have, this full-time job is the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so they got time. Anyways. So Melinda started to become very jealous of the two of them. And yes. honestly, kind of rightfully so. I mean, yeah. But you don't have to hurt someone over that. No. It's not normal. You the communicate. No- Jealousy is a normal reaction, but and anger even to your girlfriend. Emotions are normal, but yeah. you have to control them. <laughs> yeah, like you don't act on them in yeah. certain ways. So Amanda and Shanda, Amanda and Shanda, their names. Well, I've been saying their names differently, so maybe that's why in my head when okay. I was writing this whole thing. <laughs> Um, they went to a school dance together in early October 1991, mm-hmm. and Melinda found them and confronted them. But Melinda went to a different school. Yeah, because she was older. Yeah, but I okay. think she still like she just went figured out okay. that they were there. Yeah. And then they didn't end their relationship. Like Melinda and Amanda were technically still like they never officially were like we're not dating anymore. Okay, but Amanda was still seeing Shanda, and Melinda started to see an older girl. Okay, so. But they still clear. Melinda still clearly really liked Amanda, mm-hmm. I think. And then in later October 1991, so later that month, Melinda started to talk about killing Shanda, and she threatened her in public after Shanda went to a festival with Amanda. Mm-hmm. And that was when Shanda's parents transferred her to that Catholic school. Mm-hmm. They were concerned about what effects could happen from her and Amanda's relationship. Yeah, and they were just like. This could be bad. <laughs> so, and then Melinda started to send death threats towards Shanda through Amanda. And wait, repeat. Sorry. Melinda was like giving death threats towards Shanda, but like I think through she would tell Amanda. them to Amanda. Okay. Basically. All of their names end in I know. <laughs> it's confusing. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Which is probably why I was saying Shanda is Shonda because I was like, I can't. That's okay. <laughs> They're all so similar. But anyway, Amanda said she gave those death threats to a youth prosecutor. Don't really know what that is exactly, but that person didn't do anything with it, according to Amanda. She's like, as far as I know, I don't know what happened with that. Okay. So now we're going to start on the night of January 10th, 1992. Okay. So this is where it's going to get even worse. Mm Mm-hmm. So at this point, Tony and Hope, the two of the friends, they Mm -hmm. were 15. Lori was 17. And Melinda was 16 and Shanda was 12. So they're all like significantly in a very different developmental phase. Yes. But anyway, Tony, Hope and Lori, they rode in Lori's car from Madison, Indiana to get to Melinda's house in New Albany, which is about an hour away. And Hope and Tony had never met Melinda before. Yeah. They literally met her this night. They just went along with this girl. I can't. It gives me so much anxiety. So how did they know... Lori, like they just grew up together okay. and Lori had and met Lori knew Melinda and okay. yeah, they just like met in Louisville. Yeah. So when they got there, the three girls borrowed some of Melinda's clothes. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. You literally just met her and okay. now you're wearing her clothes. And then, so they're just hanging out being girls. And then Melinda shows them a knife that she says she's going to use to scare 12 year old Shanda. 
Like, you're 16. Like, you guys can drive. Yeah. Like, two of them can drive at this point. Yes. And you're going to scare, quote. Yeah, scare. A a 12-year-old. Yeah. Like, what about that is fun? I don't understand. No. Go to freaking McDonald's, which they do. do, They do go to McDonald's, but it's like, go have fun. Like, like that's you're 16. Not that's not what you're supposed to be doing. I just... No. I mean, it's not what anyone's supposed to be doing. <laughs> no. But... For sure not a 16-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lori knew of this plan to mm-hmm. scan... To scare... I can't... They're, all these words are coming... They're all blending together in my mouth as they're coming out. That's fine. So, Lori already knew of this plan to scare Shanda before the night. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Tony and Hope didn't know anything about it. They don't know who Shanda is. Yeah. So, Melinda tells them that she was a, quote, copycat and that she stole Melinda's girlfriend. Okay. And apparently that's all the information they needed to uh, get on board with this plan. Which, I mean, that is very high high school. school. Yeah. Like, you hate someone because your friend told you to hate them. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's terrible. Yeah. So then Lori lets Hope drive her car and they drive to Jeffersonville. Hope is 14? 15. 15. Yeah. Hope and Tony are both 15. Okay. Lori's 16. So they're letting someone who can't drive. Drive, yeah, drive yeah. Hope Great. drives a lot. Uh, yeah, so they drive to Jeffersonville. Do you know where that is? <laughs> no. It's like 15 minutes away from <laughs> New Albany. It's oh, like, okay. it's on, it's really close to Louisville also. I was going to say, I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. no, it's, it's very close. Um, but Shanda was staying there. That's where her dad lived and she would stay with him on the weekends. So that's where they were. Okay. They were headed there to go to Melinda, to not Melinda, Shanda's dad's house. Okay. So then the girls stopped to McDonald's on the way to ask for directions. They stopped a lot of places to ask for directions. Guys. Yeah. So then they get to Shanda's house a little before it was dark, and Melinda tells Hope and Tony, who've never met Shanda or Amanda, mm-hmm. to go to Shanda's door and say that they're friends with Amanda, and they're like, go tell her that Amanda is at the witch's castle, mm-hmm. which is like a ruined stone house that's on a hill somewhere, and they're like, go tell her that Amanda's there waiting, and Want you want to invite her to go like meet up with Amanda? Which is such a weird. It's yeah. Like you know they're they're teenagers without a time with cell phone. Yeah, like that's what they do. So Shanda tells those two girls like I can't go out. My parents, my dad's still awake. Like come back at midnight. But I don't think she really wanted to. Go. She's also twelve, but yeah. she's also like these older girls want to hang out with me mm-hmm. and my girlfriend. Like very, it sucks. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Melinda was angry she was like because she wanted her to go right then yeah the other girls kind of convinced her they're like it's okay like she'll come out later with us and so she's like okay whatever so then the four girls melinda tony hope and Lori, they go to louisville and they go to a punk rock show at the audubon skate park okay and they're like that's where they're going to spend their time <laughs> cool and uh, tony just stay there yeah you don't have to go hurt someone <laughs> i know uh, Tony and Hope lost interest pretty early on, so they went out to the parking lot and they started hooking up with two boys in Lori's car. Okay, I'd be so pissed too oh if my, my dad gosh. bought me a car. And are they in like, the same car? I think so. It's like one car, like yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Ew. Okay. They're fifteen. I don't think they're doing much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Still, you don't know. <laughs> Let's not go. There. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so eventually the four girls all got back in the car together and they headed off towards Shanda's dad's okay. house. So the punk rock show did not hold their attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this car ride, Melinda said that she couldn't wait to kill Shanda. Later, she also said that 
she did clarify in the car she only intended to use the knife to scare Shanda. But why would you say, I can't wait to kill her? If you didn't didn't. plan on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would you say that? That's not a funny thing to do. And it's not like a phrase. Like, you can't claim like, oh, I I didn't mean it. Yeah. You said it. And clearly you meant it because you did something about it. Yeah. So... It's like you can't, that's not how like the degrees of murder work of like, oh, I know I said I was going to do it, but that doesn't mean that there is intent. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, you said it. Yeah. And you did it. Like, yeah. Okay. So the girls got to Shanda's around 1230 a.m. And Tony at that point started to be like, "Mm, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. So she stayed in the car. Okay. And Lori and Hope went up to the door to get Shanda, and Melinda hid under a blanket in the back seat with a knife. And Shanda was like really reluctant to go still, but then she eventually agreed, and she like got changed. And Hope told her like Amanda's still waiting at the witch's castle for us, and so she was mm-hmm. like, okay. So it's just like so messed up. I anyway, it just keeps getting more messed up. And yeah, it's gonna be terrible. Um, once they were all back in the car, the dress are driving away. Hope is driving i think still she starts to ask hope starts to ask shanda about her and amanda's relationship Mm -hmm. and that's when melinda jumps up from the back seat and puts the knife to shanda's throat and starts to interrogate shanda about the sexual relationship she had with amanda Mm -hmm. it's like this girl is 12 and you're holding a knife to her throat asking her these terrible like it's so horrible so then the girls drive towards the witch's castle okay you're good melinda's 16 yes Amanda's also 12. I think close. Yeah. I mean, they met in middle school. Yeah. So it's just like, why are you interested in a 12 year old? I like, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of other pretty girls for you to like in high school. Yeah. In your age group. Yes, definitely. Like, it's just like, you're asking about like like, their sex life and stuff. And it's like, they're 12. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sure Amanda was nice enough, but like (laughs) enough for this. Like, really? Also, like, she's 12. I know. I was going to say, I know what I looked like at 12 years old, and I was not. No. No 12-year-old is. No 16-year-old. No normal 16-year-old should be into a 12-year-old. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's like, I understand they're both minors, and it's not technically illegal, illegal, but it's very. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Continue. So the girls drove towards the witch's castle. Mm-hmm. What an ominous yeah. name. Um, and Lori was telling them about a local legend that the house was once owned by nine witches and then townspeople like burned it down later to like get rid of the witches, like to get them out of town. Mm-hmm. So, so at that point, Shanda's like terrified already, like has a knife to her throat. Yeah. And they're telling her this scary story about where they're going. They're interrogating her. And so she's sobbing. And then when they get to the castle, the girls start to like use a rope to tie up her arms and legs. And it's like, mm. like a, that's so scary. And then Melinda starts to taunt Shanda, saying like, oh, you have really pretty hair. I wonder what will happen if, like what would happen if I cut it all off. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they probably cared so much about their hair back then. Yeah. And I mean, we still care about her yeah. hair like that. I would still I would be freak distraught out. if yeah. someone was doing that to me. I'd freak out. Yeah. And then Melinda starts to take off Shanda's rings and starts handing them around to the other girls. And it's like, that that's just so, yeah. I don't know. And it, this would all be like, whatever, if she didn't have a knife and, ro- <laughs> and like rope. And players like, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be one very, case of like bullying. Yeah, at the very least, it's bullying. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's 
but they like took it to another level even and then hope starts to get involved okay she takes off shanda's mickey mouse watch and starts dancing around to the music it's playing like what also it's just like she's wearing a mickey mouse watch she's 12 oh yeah and then melinda to scare shanda even more tells her that there are human remains in the witch's castle and that hers will be next oh yeah and so then Lori goes to her car and she takes a smiley face shirt from the car and lights it on fire to scare Shanda even more. Whoa. And, but then the girls started to be like, what if the fire catches someone else's attention? Yeah. And so they get Shanda in the car and they leave. Okay. Like they like abandoned the site. Yeah. So during that second car ride, Shanda starts to beg to go back home. Yeah. Which is, of course she is. Mm-hmm. Like, haven't you guys done enough? At that point. Like, honestly. Yeah. If you wanted, to, if your intent was to just scare her, you That done was it. enough. Yeah. yeah. She's clearly terrified. I don't think she'll do anything else. Yeah. So then Melinda tells Shanda to take her bra off, which she does because this girl has a knife. Yeah. And then Melinda hands it to Hope, who puts it on while she's driving the car. Like, okay. she takes off her own and puts on Shanda's. Well, that seems like a lot. Yeah. While she's driving. That's like, <laughs> sounds difficult. Oh, yes. I don't even know. Okay. And then the girls get lost. Yeah. So they go to a gas station and they leave Shanda hidden under a blanket. And Lori goes in to ask for directions again. Mm-hmm. And then Tony like got on the, like called a boy who was in Louisville to try and like distract her from what was going on, I guess. Just like kind of weird. But okay. she like didn't mention that Shanda was abducted in the car. Yeah. Like this girl's just there. Which is another problem that there's a bias. There's a person that's there not doing anything about it. Like, if you really feel bad about it. Well, especially, like, you're already on the phone with someone. Just be like, call the police. Please. Like, that's all you have to do. Exactly. Um, So then they get all all of them back in the car. They get lost again. They have to stop at another gas station. They stay there for a little while because Tony and Hope, they found some boys to talk to. So they just go and chat with some boys for a while. And then they all get back in the car again. It's just like hard to find so many boys to talk to you. I don't know. Just boys are hanging out at a gas station in the skate park. Like you don't want those boys. (laughs) They're fifteen. They're hormonal. Uh, They're crazy. Yeah. Uh, And they don't have the best backgrounds. Yeah. Probably some self-esteem issues mixed in there too. Okay. So anyway, then eventually the girls get to the edge of the woods behind, like near Lori's house back in Madison. So they're like an hour away from where they all started again. Now it's going to be escalated to another level. Yeah. So Lori starts to lead all the girls, including Shanda, to an abandoned building that was off of a logging road in the forest. Okay. And Tony and Hope were getting pretty scared. So they just like, oh, we'll just stay in the car. Just like, okay, whatever. That's not any better. No. And so then Melinda and Lori force Shanda to strip down to her underwear. And then Melinda starts to beat her up with her fists. Just like, okay. Yeah. And then Melinda repeatedly kneed Shanda in the face, which caused there to be cuts in Shanda's mouth because she had braces. Oh. Yeah. I can't. Like. That's so painful. Like, this girl has braces and a Mickey Mouse watch. Yeah. And, like, like she's a baby. Yeah. This is so. Okay. Yeah. Then Melinda tried to slash Shanda's throat, but the knife was too dull. Ugh. Yeah. Which is, like, at that point, you could have killed her with that. So it's like you weren't just intending to scare her. Yeah. You're you were that could have killed her. Yes. They've proven time and time again They're what not their just, intent was. Yeah. We're already 
So I've already been there. Yeah. So then Hope gets out of the car and she goes to help hold Shanda down. So now Hope is like really Mm -hmm. getting into this. And Melinda and Lori take turns stabbing Shanda in the chest. She's still alive Mm -hmm. at this point. And it's just like, this little girl is so strong. Like, she is just like trying to stay alive. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Um, And then they used rope and they tried to strangle her. And they did that until she was unconscious. And at that point, Melinda starts to be like, she's dead, guys. Yeah. I start telling them that. So they put her in the trunk of the car and then they drive off. But she's still alive. Yeah. Um, So they went back to Lori's house and they went in to clean up and get a soda. And it's like, great. Okay. Nothing like a post attempted murder murder sprite. And they think they killed her. Yeah. So it's like, wow. Shows you your character. Shows your character yeah. for real. And then they start hearing Shanda screaming in the back of the trunk because she's injured and trapped. Yeah. And so Lori goes out there with a paring knife and stabbed her several more times and then comes back inside covered in blood. And I just don't understand, like, why the other girls do this. No. Like, Melinda is the only one who has this grudge against her. Yeah. She's the, she's the only one who even knows her. Yeah. And it's like, it's not even a good reason anyway. No. But... I feel like they have had so many feelings and someone's finally given them a reason to like to take their anger and like do something bad. That makes sense. But it's also like that's not a good. No, but it's like that's the only thing my brain can be like Mm -hmm. why they all went along with it. Yeah. But it's still like clearly like Tony's uncomfortable, but she Mm -hmm. won't stand up against the and be like, this is not right. But also she's 15 and the older girls are the ones leading this thing. And I mean, it's like Melinda picked people that had been abused themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to like really stand up to her. And they also, most of them weren't properly taught what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. But yeah, just makes me sick. Me too. So then Lori washes herself off again. And then she just starts to um, try and tell the other girls their futures using like these crystally stone things. Okay. It's like, okay. Your future is jail. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, I think I see it. <laughs> I think I could tell you that. Too. Yeah. So around 2.30 a.m., this went on for a little while. And then Lori and Melinda were like, we're going to go country cruising. Just driving around small towns, I guess. I've never once said that. <laughs> no. There's a... So one of the main, this is a side story. There's okay. like this main street in like downtown where I'm from, like our like our smaller, not Kansas mm-hmm. City. Yeah. And it's Santa Fe. And in my senior year of high school, one of my friends had to do a project. We all had to do like a Kansas City themed project. And her project was literally centered around this thing that people apparently used to do called cruising the Fay. And she like did a whole project about this. Okay. I don't even know what she found. Okay. But I was like, how do you write this it's long of a paper like, about cruising the Fay? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, that's what I think of when I think of country cruising. But I didn't live in the country. I mean, I did just like drive around back roads with friends, but yeah. we never said country Country cruising. cruising. Well, you're in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> So, Lori and Melinda, they were going to go do that. Tony and Hope were like, we're just going to stay here. Mm-hmm. So they were, they, at that point, didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. They stayed at Lori's house. The other girls went with the car, and they went to Canaan, which is apparently a nearby town. Okay. They're still in Madison-ish, mm-hmm. I think. And then they hear Shanda 
crying and like making gurgling noises in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. And then so Lori just like stops the car and then they open the trunk and Shanda's like covered in blood with her eyes like rolled in the back of her head. Yeah. And then she sat up, but she couldn't like really speak. And then Lori beat her with a tire iron until she was quiet. And she, this is very graphic, but she said she felt Shanda's head cave in. Ugh. And then she told Melinda to smell the tire iron. What? Yeah. What? What? That's so gross. Why? That, I don't get it. Unnecessary. All this unnecessary, but like, so weird. And then they just continued on their joyride. And then they would like periodically stop, hit Shanda some more with the tire iron, and then keep going and do it again. And just like, you're insane. Yeah. And this went on until like the sun was about to come up. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then they go back to Lori's house to clean up and Hope was asking about Shanda and Lori was laughing, describing what they just did. I think Lori, I mean, she was diagnosed with a personality yeah. disorder and so it's like. But that doesn't make you do no, this. Yeah. No, And it's like, maybe someone else should have like stepped in and been like, you're not okay. Like yeah. you're taking this way too far. Yeah. Yeah. And you have no reason, you have no, no connection to this. Mm-hmm. And so then Lori's mom was woken up by them at that point. And after all this other stuff happened, they're literally yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, but she started yelling at Lori for bringing other girls into their house and for being out late. And mm-hmm. it's like, how do you even know what she was doing if you were sleeping that, through that whole thing? Yeah, it's like too, too late. They've yeah. been up all night, like trying to kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. So then Lori agreed to take them all home. And instead, she drove to this place that I, they said it was called the burn pile. And I don't know what that meant. Okay. But then they were like, oh, let's stop and look at Shanda in the trunk. And Tony would not. Mm-hmm. Which it's like, why are you there, girl? Still like, yeah, you could have gotten help. Whatever. She could have called someone from Lori's house. Exactly. Lori wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. But while they're standing there looking at Shanda in the trunk, Hope sprays her with Windex and mm-hmm. says, quote, you're not looking so hot now, are you? It's like, she's a 12-year-old. It's like, she was just brutally murdered. murdered. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think she's still alive at this point. Like, kind of. Yeah. And then the girls, with Shanda's in the trunk, they drove to another gas station, and they started to pump some gas, and they bought a two-liter of Pepsi, and then Lori poured out the soda and pumped gas into the bottle. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And they drove north of Madison to a place that Hope knew about. And Tony stayed in the car again, still doing nothing. And Lori and Hope wrapped Shanda up while she was still alive in a blanket. And they took her to a field by the gravel road. And Lori made Hope pour the gasoline on Shanda. And they set her on fire. So at this point, Lori's leading Yeah, this. It's not even Melinda. Yeah. Um, and they left, but then Melinda wasn't like entirely convinced that Shanda was dead. So mm-hmm. they went back a few minutes later and put more gasoline on her. Mm-hmm. And so just like, that's horrible. And I'm pretty sure she was still alive yeah. when that happened. So around 9.30 that morning, my nose. Anyway, around 9.30 that morning, the girls went to grab breakfast at McDonald's. And second time they'd been to McDonald's in 12 yeah. hours, probably. But they were just sitting there and they were laughing about Shanda. Like, no remorse at that point. Yeah. It's like, so messed up. But while they were there, Tony calls a friend and tells her about Shanda's murder. Just now? like Yeah. Yeah. You had so many chances. Yeah. And then Lori drops Tony and Hope off at their houses, and she and Melinda, I think they go to Melinda's house, but I saw both, but they went to Lori's or Melinda's, but I think they were at Melinda's. And then they, like, contact Amanda, and they're like, hey, 
we are going to pick you up later today. Mm. Okay. And then a girl named Crystal Wathen comes over to Melinda's house. She was friends with her, I guess. And Melinda and Lori start to tell Crystal all about what they did. So they're just telling random yeah. people about this. It's like they're not even trying to cover it up. No. And then all three of them go to pick up Amanda and they take her back to Melinda's house. And then they tell Amanda the whole story about what they did to Shanda. I'm like, what? Did, like, what is she thinking? Yeah. And then Amanda and Crystal like didn't fully believe what they were telling them. And then they looked in the trunk of the car and saw Shanda's like bloody handprints, and her socks were still in there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay. And then Amanda like broke down and like yeah. wanted to go home, which is fair. Yeah. But then they get to her house, and Melinda kisses her. And tells her she loves her and asks Amanda not to say anything to anyone. And Amanda promised she wouldn't. Okay. It's like, why would you not yeah. tell someone? That was your girlfriend. Yeah. A 12-year-old. Your 12-year-old girlfriend. Killed. And gone. Maybe she was in shock. That probably I mean, was yeah. true. I mean, she was probably scared they would do, do it, it to her. her. Yeah. Gosh. It's, like, it's so horrible. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about the investigation and their trials. Yeah. Because obviously they do get caught. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. So later that morning on January 11th, 1992, a couple of brothers were driving in the area about to go hunting and they saw Shanda's body. They thought it was a mannequin at first, which Mm -hmm. is like second case I've been doing recently that they think the body is a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. Probably not. Really? Probably not. Yeah. And... And when they got it out of the car, though, they noticed pretty quickly, like, oh, that is the burned body of a child. Like, yeah. you could tell, which is so horrible. And they called the police at 10.55 a.m. And one of the responding officers, I didn't know who this was, and now I want to look into this case, but it was apparently a man named David Cam, who was later acquitted of his own family's murders. So now I need to look oh. into it because <laughs> I was like, that's very interesting. But yeah. So it's like another murderer might have. Okay. But he got out on it. So I don't know. Yeah. But anyway. I will. Ne- I would need to know more to make a comment on that yes. situation. <laughs> yeah. So Jefferson County Sheriff Buck Shipley and, dete- and his detectives started their investigation. And they were collecting forensic evidence at the scene. And they thought at first that it was a drug deal gone wrong. And they were like, this is probably not a local crime. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they just yeah. jumped to that assumption. But weird i also probably wouldn't jump to it being a 15 year old 16 year old doing it yeah i mean that's yeah yeah Um, they also noted that her her body was in a suggestive pose which meant that it was done intentionally Mm. and they noted that her hands and her face were burned to keep her unidentifiable yeah i don't know if that's why they did what they did but i mean yeah i'm like were you were they i just don't know if they were thinking clearly enough for that to be the reason that they did it i don't know about like her hands but i feel like i could see them like pouring extra gasoline on her face because they were already trying to be like you're not so hot now like that feels more like their thing yeah i don't think they're they're clearly not criminal masterminds no i don't think that they were thinking about fingerprints and stuff like that yeah but they were like, that's intentional. Okay. It's like, I don't know if it was yeah. intentional or not, but it definitely happened. So now back at Shanda's dad's house, mm-hmm. early that morning, Stephen Scherer noticed that Shanda wasn't there. And so all morning he was like calling friends and neighbors asking about if anyone had seen her. And finally around 1.45 PM, he called Jacqueline, Shanda's mom and like got her involved. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they met up at the sheriff's office and they filed a missing persons report with the with Clark County. And now we're fast forward to the day. Around 8.20 p.m., Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippey were, like, hysterical and emotional, and their parents took them to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Mm-hmm. Like, makes sense. They're 15. And Tony was already breaking. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, they gave rambling statements and identified the victim as Shanda. I don't think they gave much more. I don't think they, mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't know her. Yeah. So they don't know her last name, probably. But they did name Lori and Melinda. Um, and they described what happened the night before. So that's all the information they had yeah. at first. But then an inter-county investigation took place, and finally Sheriff Shipley contacted Clark County Sheriff, and they matched the body to the missing persons report. Mm-hmm. And they were able to positively identify it as Shanda Sherer by her dental records. Yeah. And she had braces. <laughs> anyway, um, Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett were both arrested on January 12th. Um, most of the evidence that they had against them came from Hope and Tony's statements. Yeah. And well, what about Lori's car? I don't know. Okay. I'm sure they got it. I didn't. Yeah. Find, I didn't see that. Well, but. they probably didn't have that to arrest them. Yeah. I was just no to okay. arrest them. It was their statements. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think they have plenty of evidence yeah. against them for this, but um, the prosecution immediately wanted to try Melinda and Lori as adults. Yeah. Uh, obviously. I mean. They're pretty close. Yeah, and this was a very intentional, horrific crime. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only information that was given to the media for several months were Tony and Hope's statements. So they mm-hmm. got like, no one really knew what was happening with all of it. But all four girls were then tried as adults. Mm-hmm. And all four accepted plea bargains to avoid the death penalty. Okay. Um, Tony accepted her plea on April 22nd, 1992, and the other girls accepted on September 21st, 1992. Okay. Um, I mean, they're tri- they took plea bargains, so they weren't trial. Like, yeah. I don't know all of that. Um, but Lori Tackett and Melinda Loveless were sentenced to 60 years in the Indiana Women's Prison in, in Indianapolis. Okay. Um, Hope Rippey was sentenced to 60 years with 10 years suspended for mitigating circumstances, which I think comes from her like coming forward. Okay. Yeah. So 50. Yeah. Yeah. But then she also only had, and it says, and it said like plus 10 years of medium supervision probation. Okay. So it wasn't that. Yeah. But then she did appeal and her sentence was eventually reduced to 35 years. Okay. So. Um, in exchange for Tony Lawrence's cooperation, she was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement and was sentenced to a maximum maximum of 20 years. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad she still got time. Yes. But yeah. I, I feel very conflicted on her. her. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I wish she would have done something to stop them. But then I'm also like, she's she didn't, also a child. And yeah. So it's and she didn't like, do anything. Like, she didn't touch her. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. like, a lot of... Yeah. Um, in October 2007, Melinda Lovelace's attorney filed an appeal, um, and he was trying to argue that she was mentally incompetent because of the child abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, that happened to her the entire time she was a kid. And he also said that she was too young to sign, her, like, her plea deal. Like, he was like, she's 16, like, and not mentally... All there, yeah. But on January 8th, 2008, Judge Ted Todd, what a name. What a name. um, He rejected the request for the appeal. Like, he was like, no. And then, again, her appeal was denied in November 2008. Like, later that year, another judge was like, no. Yeah. So, 
But unfortunately, all four of them are out of prison at this point. Are you kidding me? Nope. All of them. All of them? All four of them. Why? I don't know. Uh, Tony Lawrence was released on December 14th, 2000, after so serving only one. nine yeah. years. Um, she was on parole until December 2002. So she okay. had two years of parole. And it's like, okay, her whatever, yeah. I guess. Um, Hope Rippey was released from Indiana Women's Prison on parole on April 28, 2006, after only serving 14 years of her original sentence. Um, she was on supervised parole for five years until April 2011. Okay. Lori Tackett was released on January 11, 2018 from Rockville Correctional Facility, which was the 26th anniversary of Shanda's death. On the anniversary of her death? Yep. Are you? Yeah. She only had served about 26 years, and then she only had, like, a year of parole. A year of parole? That is absurd. Or an ex- it said an extra year. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. But she didn't have that long. I hope it was longer. Long a year. I really do, too, but I have no idea. Okay. But she was released in 2018, on the anniversary of her death. Yeah, that's messed up. I don't... Something's wrong. Yeah. I don't know why. She is... I'm like, I hope she's getting help, because she clearly has mental issues. Yeah. And Melinda Lovelace was the last to be released, but that happened on September 5th, 2019 from the Indiana Women's Prison. And she served again around 26 years. And uh, I believe she's still on parole. I don't. Good. In Jefferson County, Kentucky. So not far from us. No, she's in Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're all out there living their lives. Ugh. Yeah. So just a little bit about Shanda's family afterwards mm-hmm. um her dad steven died of alcoholism in mm-hmm. 2005 at the age of 53 shanda's mom jacqueline said that steven was so destroyed by his daughter's murder that he quote drank himself to death the yeah. man definitely died from a broken heart oh and just so sad in january 2009 the shanda Shearer scholarship fund was formed but by 2019 it was pretty much depleted and they yeah. were like we are not going to take it was like going towards like technical courses and stuff for people. That's sweet. Yeah. And then this is the last thing I have. But in 2012, um, Jacqueline, Shanda's mom, made indirect contact with Melinda Lovelace. And oh. it was the first time she did that since the trials. Yeah. Um, Jacqueline donated a dog named Angel and Shanda's name to Melinda to train for the Indiana Canine Assistance Network um, project program through Project to Heal, which provides service pets to people with disabilities. Wow. Yeah. And Jacqueline received a lot of criticism, obviously, for this, but she defended it by saying this, um, quote, it's my choice to make. Shanda's my child. If you don't want good things come from bad things, nothing gets better. And I know what my child would want. My child would want this. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, she's allowed to grieve, however she yeah. needs to yeah like pe- it's a little weird but, but like yeah you can't criticize the mother of a murdered yeah. child like yeah and she probably did hear about this 16 year old's background and like yeah she was like clearly something's wrong with this girl like this yeah like and i don't know yeah she has a lot more grace than i think mm-hmm. i would have in this instance yeah um, Jacqueline said that she hoped to donate a dog every year in honor of Shanda. I don't know if she's done it, oh, but I really hope she has. And, that's so sweet. Or donated a couple and like, mm-hmm. that's a really sweet thing to do. But yeah, yeah that's a terribly tragic and sad and all around horrific case of Shanda mm-hmm. Shearer. Well, I hope that those girls 
were actually rehabilitated by the prison system. Yeah. I mean, they all got out like, pretty early. So yeah. I'm like, I hope so. Like, I hope. Like, I hope yeah. that it was actually. Beneficial. Beneficial. Yeah. Once. Yeah. Because I do, like. Yeah. They, those girls were made yeah. by their situations. And yeah. So. Yeah. Linda was like in her 40s when she got out. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I hope good things, I don't know, can come from like learning about this and like I'm glad that therapy is better now and yes. like those things are better, but yeah. Yeah. So nice. so depressing. Yeah. That one hurts me. Mhm. I don't blame me if you don't want to do a palate cleanser or if you want to. I don't, I mean, there's never a good time, but I need to s- tell people that you said this. <laughs> no. So the other night, Katie just looks at me. I have to quote it directly. Um, We're just sitting there at a table and Katie looks at me and she says, I just had a terrible thought. You look like one of Ted Bundy's victims. (laughs) (laughs) To me. (laughs) She's like, I don't know. It's just like your hair. I don't know. Yeah. And then she tried to clarify and said, I'm not saying you look like you'd get murdered. I'm just saying you look like his type. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make it better. Why does it not make it better? It doesn't make it better. I don't know. Your hair's just getting darker and you have the middle part and how your hair was styled looked very 70s and 80s, okay? You could have said that. No. (laughs) That sounds better. That was about Ted Bundy, though. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, I anyway. just needed to share that because yeah. the shock I felt when she said that. <laughs> okay. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. I was also really out of it at that moment. That's fine. Anyway. And next episode is episode 50. Heck yeah. And I have Sydney to, has a big thing I have to research us. a lot That's before okay. then. It's okay. It's fine. Woo-hoo. But anyway, it's going to be a good one. You'll just have to wait and see. And here. Also, uh, I was I'm supposed to give a shout out to my friend Annabelle. Oh yeah. Um, she listens to like all of our episodes, which is really sweet. We love Annabelle. Um, love you. I told her that I would shout her oh, out. Oh yeah. So nice. She gets a heart. A heart. We're doing hearts. Hearts. <laughs> hearts for Annabelle. <laughs> okay. Uh, you guys should follow us on all the things on Instagram at something sick podcast or on Twitter at a sick podcast. Or on TikTok at Something Sick Podcast. Or send us an email at somethingsickpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you next time, homies. Peace out. Bye.